Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I am your host, Paul O'Neill, and today I'm joined by longtime friend, Bill Elliott. Bill is someone who I had the pleasure of meeting through the powerlifting community up here in Ottawa, Ontario. Well, I say up here in Ottawa, Ontario, but I'm currently in Houston, Texas. Um, Bill it was actually one of my clients as he was working towards his final meet in powerlifting before he, he retired. But uh, I got to know him over those years and I've stayed in contact. And those are just honestly, for lack of a better word, I'm just completely fascinated by you, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Very interesting, man. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Yeah. Lost, as, you, as we said just beforehand, there's lots to talk about. So it's a matter of where do we start? Exactly. I think for the sake of a podcast, I think it's worthwhile to tell people who you are. What's your story? Yeah, I think I'll start with the story piece uh, because I personally associate who I am as an identity piece versus a story piece. And I do feel it's important to make the distinction between the two. So, yeah. <laughs> right. So the story piece, my background is as a patient in hospital generally. So mm -hmm. early life for me was very rare genetic condition uh, with cholesterol diagnosis, treatment, surgeries, procedures, uh, kind of the highlight reel. I was the youngest kid in North America to have a triple bypass uh, the day after my eighth birthday. So that was a big deal in 94. I had the next year was diagnosed with superior vena cava syndrome. They found that I had complete superior vena cava occlusion, uh, and that is still the case. So fortunately, that didn't kill me, and uh, that kind of sorted itself out to whatever degree that it did. Um, I had whooping cough, three AV fistula surgeries. I've had, I don't even, I don't even know all the different stuff I've had, to be honest, but yeah. The big blocks, the next big piece for my 32nd birthday, essentially. So in 2018, I had a major reconstructive heart surgery, uh, which consisted of a fourth bypass graft, um, a bentol procedure, which replaces the ascending aorta, aortic root, aortic valve, oh. and a mitral valve replacement as well. So that's all done. The next year, 2019, I had two cases of necrotizing cellulitis in the tissue surrounding my heart and lungs into my left arm. And uh, the first one specifically damn near killed me. Second yeah. one was a little bit, we caught it faster. We knew what it was. So different process, almost identical thing. And uh, yeah, that's kind of things in a, in a nutshell in terms of my my story. Uh, on the medical side and the personal side, well, I've played music for 20 plus years. That's what I was going to say. Bodybuilding. Yeah. None of this stopped you from doing anything. Yeah, that's it. So I started, I found the gym really when I was 19, but 15, I lost 30 plus pounds just riding my bike. You know, I was overweight as a kid and lost a bunch of weight, started exercising, started using my aunt's old York home gym. You know, nice. I'd bike to their house and use it and bike home. Um, got down that path, personal training certifications, these kinds of things. Uh, got into powerlifting, started working with you. Yeah. Really, my whole 20s was based around get ripped or die trying. That was yeah. everything. I've uh, been married twice. Uh, yeah. that's It's been a wild ride, man. Life is wild is the theme of my life. And uh, anyways, I love it, so. Yeah, that's honestly a lot of a lot of what fascinates me about you. And and to be fair, I don't say that um and you know this, but I feel like I have to clarify for the audience is when I say that Bill fascinates me, it's not it's not because he is this miraculous human being. Like I, we're not all unicorns, you know, all that sort of stuff. What fascinates me is that I I do enjoy studying people. I do enjoy observing people's different behaviors, especially when faced with hardships. And I think the way that we approach a hardship is really indicative of our character and your approach to whatever hardship or challenge or surgery or obstacle in your way has always been one of gratitude and has always been one of 
say almost like foolish optimism. Mm-hmm. It's like, for lack of a better word, I'm here and I get to do this. And I'm curious, what what was this like? Was this always your mindset, or did you have to go through some personal growth along the way? Because I will say I've been through my own my own hardships, as we all have. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't equipped with that mindset initially. It was something that I had to learn. And I did a ton of reading, therapy, journaling, mindfulness, like tons of different things to get to where I am today and how I face hardships. I'm wondering, what was that process like for you? Natural. <laughs> it was, uh, and actually, I, I've got it written on my whiteboard. So this is, I mean, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have traced that back to in reflection uh 17 months old when i was first diagnosed the doctor told my parents most patients with this diagnosis don't live to see the age of three we've never done treatment on a child of your your son's age or size do you want to try treatment yes or no my mom at the time said no it's it sounded like torture a lot of uncertainty a lot Mm -hmm. of things right my dad said we're doing this. This is the way forward. And that's what happened. And so I don't know if you've ever met my dad, but he's, he's an intense person. He has a sureness, a confidence. He's very go, go, go. Right. Okay. But the message within myself for my entire life, and I've traced it back to him is that you can do whatever it takes because that's what it takes. Oh, I fucking love that. That is my entire existence. And so from day one, doctors are saying, your son's going to die. And he says, fuck you, we'll see. And that was ingrained on me from right from the start. My dad knows I can do this. I know I can do this. And so I know that that's where it came from. And I don't think he ever actually said that to me, but that's just my whole always in the front of my mind and this is where i feel i've been a bit of an enigma and trauma work in therapy as well and i believe it's at least partially to do with because over the course of my life i've been asked a lot you know how did you do it a lot of people have this sense of i wish things were different why is it so hard why me it shouldn't be like this right there's all these statements and questions And during hardships, when that's the mindset, there's a sense of, I wish this would stop. When is this over? I've never had that. It's, this is what it takes. And that's it. And so I don't have that, that internal struggle of, I can't wait for this to be done. I shouldn't be going through this. Why me? Resistance versus acceptance. It's it's it. I've let go. And this is the way forward because a lot of the things that I've been faced with have never been dealt with before. So there's no precedent, right? It's like, we have no idea what it takes and turns out here I am. This is what it takes Mm -hmm. and I can. And that's just, that's my entire existence. That, you know, while you were speaking about, you know, the resistance or the why that's something that I've been kind of thinking about a lot in terms of, Okay, so you're dealing with this hardship and you think, why me? If someone gave you a reason, would that change anything? Right. It's like, why Why am I going through this divorce? It's like, well, because when you were five years old, you didn't feed that dog on the corner of the street when you had a snack in your hand and now you get divorced. It's like, oh, well, man. Yeah. What are you going to do? You're going to do the exact same thing that you're going to do in this moment. Uh-huh. You're going to find like, a different question. Well, exactly. why is that? You know, <laughs> it's like right. it, either way, here we are. Here we are. Yeah. And uh, I actually read a book. It was by a gentleman named Trevor Moad, I believe. Is how you pronounce the last name. It's called It Takes What It Takes. Uh, he's, sure. a, he's a mindset coach. Uh, and he worked with, oh my goodness, I'm going to, I totally forget the guy's name. Russell Wilson quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. who's his okay. mindset coach. And uh, it was just the entire theme of the book. It was like, 
anything that you want to do, any heart, any, any type of personal growth, it's like, it takes what it takes. And I relate that back, not a medical emergency by any means, but um, you know, so I was, I was overweight growing up and I always told myself, I'm like, I, I want to have abs. I just want to have abs. I don't care what I, you know, what happens. And there's a lot of things that happen. Like I, you know, was competing in powerlifting. So I had other goals and I didn't necessarily commit myself to a fat loss, like deep enough. And the first time I ever got abs, I was like, I really had to work way harder than anyone I know to do this. Mm -hmm. And I, all that came to mind was like, well, I guess that's what I got to do if I want to have abs. And that's an easy parallel to draw for a lot of the people listening in terms of if you want to achieve X, Y, or Z, maybe you do have to work harder than everybody else. Or maybe you do have these odds stacked against you, or maybe you do have these limitations. But that goal is going to take whatever it takes to get to it. So if you want to get to it, you have to prioritize the things that you need to prioritize in order to check the boxes and get to where mm -hmm. you want to go. That process never changes. No. And I think no, the sooner I, we can accept it, the better. I'm always reminded by the movie Once Upon a Time, The Girl Next Door. And the term, is the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> right? It's so yeah. simple. Yeah. But it's like, if the answer is yes or no. Right. If this is what it takes, does that change your decision of what you want the outcome to be? And it, sometimes the answer is yes. Right. Like, sure. it's harder for me than anybody else. Blah, 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 blah. Does that change the goal? Maybe. And like, and you're the only one that says whether that's right or wrong or indifferent. Right. And I think a lot of the time, well, even to go back into identity and who, who are we? One thing I find about myself is I don't associate a lot of things with my identity that I have a, a certain dissociation with the things that I do and who I am. I think partially because I've always had a sense of eventually I may not be able to do the things that I love. And so well, I need yeah. to be able to function through that, right? This cannot be a devastating change when I'm in a hospital bed for three weeks or whatever amount of time. Like if you need to do something every day in order to survive mentally, you're in a bad spot, I would tell you, right? Whereas for me, like, Ooh, well, this isn't a right now thing and I'm still fine, right? I'm curious, let's let's dive into that a little bit more because this is something that I first started thinking about when I was working in the disability field because mm -hmm. what people do for a living is a major part of their identity. Whether, it, whether it's appropriately whether it's properly appropriated as part of their identity or not, that's a conversation for another day. But, yeah. you know, hey, Sally, who are you? Oh, my name's Sally. I'm a, you know, disability rehab specialist. And I, you know, so when you're in a disability situation, one of the hardest things to do as, as someone who is coaching someone through that is to dissociate their identity from the fact that they are currently disabled. Yeah. Because it used to be, Hi, my name's Sally. I work at TELUS. To, hi, my name is Sally. I'm disabled. Mm -hmm. And that can be mentally a very damaging thing. And then it spirals into the way that you respond to your treatment, the way that you your recovery goes, yep. and all of these things. Mm -hmm. But if we detach ourselves from the activities that we do on a daily basis, what I come back to is like, okay, well, then our identity isn't the actions that we take. Our identity is most likely the motivation behind those activities hmm. or the underlying humanity underneath. Like how do you how do you conceptualize that? One thing I really like, and I don't know that I made it up, but in my mind I did. <laughs> is that I love our that. lives. Our lives are a series of feelings that we leave with the people around us. Ooh. That to me is identity in a nutshell. Our life is a series of feelings that we leave with the people around us. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Like, think about how many people float by, not necessarily. Well, you can look at it a few ways. You can look at it as somebody floating by through life, not necessarily having a huge impact on the environment around them. Mm -hmm. 
Or you can look at it as everyone has a massive impact on everyone around them. They just don't care to notice it. Yep. Potential and the potential there, right? And that's where it's like how you treat the server matters and all these things that come into the actual practical world. That to me is part of who you are, right? It's more who do other people say you are versus who do I say I am, right? I can choose how I act. I can choose my decisions and all these things. But if everyone around me says that I'm a piece of shit, what's it matter? Like in, in terms of identity, who are you going to ask? Like, if you're going to ask me, who are you? Well, I'm the most successful guy you're ever going to meet. And I'm probably, it's like, maybe. Okay. And then you ask everybody else, like, I don't know about that guy. I actually had this this conversation the other day. because I was like, you know, people will tell you to do what you want. And people will tell you to, you know, behave in a way that's right for you. But at some point, you go from being an independent thinker to being a narcissist. And that line is very, very thin. Sure. Well, but then it goes into lines of success too. And that's something that I find I am currently on government disability as well. And so this is a process that I've also mentally gone through as a person, as a man in today's society. I was hospitalized for two weeks, told I was going to die. I can't work anymore, period. Right. So that came out of nowhere, kind of. And that was like, well, fuck, I can't support myself. I don't have any, literally any income. I had just changed jobs. So I had no short-term or long-term disability. I had nothing. So that was a big shift. Mm-hmm. And now that's part of the process I'm still doing is just working to get myself off of that. But not, but as well. So I have dealt with that process myself, but I've never, I've never cared about career in terms of prioritization. Like to me, Life has always been about family, uh, fatherhood, these types of things. Mm-hmm. That's my whole, and like work has been a peripheral, like whatever right. the career piece is, that's not what life is about for me. And so it's been difficult to a degree for me to reverse engineer um, the pieces of this fatherhood figure that I can incorporate in my day to day, regardless of that situation, right? So leadership role model teaching yeah. what are the like those are the aspects that i hold at high value that i want to incorporate in my life mm-hmm. and so how can i incorporate those now well i think diving into coaching is probably as close as close as you can get in exactly but exactly uh, you know i think that's i think that's really interesting because i have always associated career as a priority Mm. To the point where my career has come at the expense of myself in a, in a number of instances. But it's as I've created more clarity over my personal identity, my career has taken a much more positive shape. And I think it's because I defined impact as one of my main tenets of success. And when I look at, you know, as that person going through life, leaving feelings with the person around them, I'm very proud of the fact that you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't have a positive thing to say about me. And that's Mm -hmm. not me like flexing on anyone. That's just, I've curated that because it's important to me. And even in, even in, in times of conflict or even in times of, uh, you know, even personal turmoil, I do try to impact the world in a positive way in whatever capacity that I can. Now, the idea of identifying with this, you know, fatherly figure and coaching and what is it that, what is it about coaching? Like to me, I think you should have been coaching a long time ago. Sure. Um, and in a way you have, right. You, you know, the way that you interact with people is very much as a, as a role model from a mental standpoint, but how do you move, how do you move from that into creating something? It's a process and that's, yeah, it, well, honestly, it's been a large learning curve. I spent a lot of time in the last specifically year, but really like four and a half years trying to shape that together. Right. Um, I, I completely agree informally. I've been doing it naturally for a long time. Right. And so to create this more formalized process 
has been a bit of a undertaking really because it's not a world that i have had any experience in before like in a formal setting mm. and then happens to be just the way the world has changed in the last few years as well so it's kind of my initial conceptualization was to do things in person because that's for me that's where the more powerful connection happens it's face-to-face -face interactions yeah and so well I, that's i started in the public speaking in 2019 yep did a handful of events and then covid hit and then i'm like i'm not interested in going online because in my opinion that's part of the problem the lack of sense of connection is largely deriving from this increase in internet usage so how do i extract out the internet and do the thing that people actually are longing for and that comes within me i felt a sense of isolation for most of my life because a lot of the things that i had dealt with had never been done before they'd never found it before they didn't know you know you were so as a five-year-old right there's no i don't know any other five-year-old who had the things i didn't know any other eight-year-olds with triple bypass because i was the first and right. so there's this overarching sense of aloneness in the world and so in the coaching space like that's for me one of my big drivers in all of life is to somehow help other people feel less alone in their chaos and i feel that's a gift of mine because my the perception of chaos isn't that question for me when people hear about my history they're just like fuck that's a lot of stuff right well, they don't th this is one thing where i've kind of accepted and that like you can speak about all the things that you've gone through but i have no basis for comparison no basis for empathy or compassion like there's no relativity involved in this it's just like mm. okay that's heavy let's yeah. talk about it when that's it and there's i've never i've never felt overwhelmed by something that someone else has told me because mm. for me it's information it's not mine and that's yeah. again a gift i want to lean into that then allows them to feel safe and heard and seen and open to be honest which a lot of the time there's that protective layer right and in a conversation if i say something to you and you shift you know oh was that too much where are you taking that? And there's a second thought happening of like doubt, right? Maybe this person isn't able to take the information that I have to share. And so I don't run into that. It's like, oh, this guy, one, he gets it. Two, I'm not overwhelming him. Three, he's not judging me. No. And like, that's all happening in real time all the time. So one of the struggles I have with the idea that the online world, so I will start off by saying I'm incredibly biased because my entire mm -hmm. business is online. Sure. Also, also I'm enjoying the freedoms associated with said online business, moving 30 hours South to avoid winter, you know, so, and just bringing my laptop. Yeah. Bonus. It's, it's a bonus. Yeah. Um, I struggle with the fact because a lot of the people, especially nowadays, whether we're talking about business, whether we're talking about parenthood, whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about religion, there's this black pill mentality of like, mm -hmm. I'm opting out. I don't want to yep. be part of this. And so, and this isn't the case with you and I kind of want to dive into it, but you're not suggesting, Hey, I'm opting out of this online world. What you're no. saying is I need to find a solution to this limitation that I feel that aligns with my values, but also still allows me to scale a business. Because mm -hmm. if you run, and for, for people who don't know, Bill lives in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. There's seven people in his town, and they have a yield sign. They don't even have a stop sign. Yeah. It's a bit of a hyperbole, but... You can't scale a personal business, a one-on-one -on -one business from where you live without not, the Yeah, not easily. And Goderich, so where I'm at now is Goderich is about 8,000 people. Um, we're about an hour and a half from some major centers. So it's, yeah, not ideal for scaling a larger business or, you know. Um, so, and you're absolutely right. 
online is one piece that I want to integrate and continue to integrate. I also right. enjoy the conversations. That's one of my core, uh, what would you call it? I don't know. We have the power to change the world through conversations. That's yeah. one of my beliefs. Yeah. And so online is one way to facilitate an infinite number of conversations, which I very much appreciate. And I want to focus my energy into in-person face-to-face things. So whether that's me do well, also doing locally as well as traveling to some degree, like, well, one project I'm working on right now is a local monthly accountability group, right? Whether it's networking, idea sharing, all these things, a place for people to go to talk about what they're working on and help each other get around hurdles they're experiencing so that we don't get stuck and stagnant. That is one project I'm currently working on and doing. I want to distill a framework and implement this in various communities. That's one goal of mine right now. So that will allow me to then also expand these community things that help people feel less stuck, less alone, and drive connection. I'm going to ask you a question. You can choose to answer it in whatever way that you'd like. But one thing that I am faced with very often in my day-to-day conversations with people are either the question of why would I start this if it might fail or I'm going to delay starting this until the conditions are perfect or lastly, and you know, something along the lines of uh, that's just too much work mm-hmm. in your, st- in your case, the conditions are going to be never perfect because you have ongoing medical care that you need to be uh, near a hospital for. Mm-hmm. There's also the looming, if the looming potential, you know, health event that could take place, which has happened to you a number of times out of the blue. You're like, Oh, I'm in the hospital again. Mm-hmm. How would you coach someone through or talk someone through the process of just getting started when the friction is highest? It's identifying one step that doesn't feel overwhelming. That's ultimately my goal. And so it's what I find most people, I I see the world through a lens of chaos. That's something that I hear from a lot of people. It's a word that has come up a lot for me in the last couple of years. And so with that being said, when we are experiencing chaos, it is very difficult to identify which information is more important than others in terms of where do I start? And so to bring it back to that conversational piece of when, if you're going to unload all of your chaos onto me, I am not hearing it as chaos. I'm hearing it as information coming in. Yeah, I do the same. And I can distill this information and find multiple starting places. And I am not attached to any of them. And so that's the process really in a nutshell is I'll say, well, how does this sound? Right. Does that seem feasible? Does that seem overwhelming? Will you commit to trying this first? Right. If any of those answers are not, I want to do that, then we'll try again. Like we will find a way. Cause another belief of mine is there is always a way. And I know that to be true based off of my, like, I know, when you're in a bed on oxygen, you can't move. All these things are taken away. I know that the world becomes very small. Literally nothing matters outside of, I need to breathe right now. I've been there. And so when I see you sitting on the other side of the computer, you're breathing, you're healthy. We're all good. I'm like, healthy. we got all these <laughs> fucking tools. Yeah. But that's, but that's, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're sitting over there breathing away on your own. This is fucking awesome, right? We have all this infinite potential to do all these things. And our biggest problem is where do I start? I'm like, oh, this is, this is fun, right? So for me, I'm like, oh, you're going to figure this out a hundred percent of the time. And I think my excitement also transfers over. It's like, oh, this guy fucking believes. And that's honestly, I'm being my dad. 
Like you can take whatever it takes because this is what it takes. And when I see you with a goal thinking, fuck, I don't know. I'm over here. Like I fucking do know. I just do. Yeah. yeah. So figure it out. And I'm here to do it with you. And that's, I get all fucking fired up from right now. You know, I love this shit. I love it. But that's that uh, foolish optim- optimism that I was talking about before. It's like, exactly. It's know, built in. At some point, you just got to fucking roll the dice. And it was one, you know, I've been meaning to talk about this because it was probably the biggest catalyst in my own personal business journey. It was when I was deciding whether or not to quit my full-time job and go all in on coaching. I had a conversation with my mom and uh, she said, if there's one person in your life that you should be able to bet on guilt-free, it needs to be you. And she also said, said if I was going to bet on anyone, I'd bet on you. Hmm. And that, that hit me really deep because it got me thinking a lot about my fears and a lot of my fears, you know, they call it false expectations, appealing real appearing real fear. Mm. And that's truly what it is. It's these false expectations based on language that we choose that shapes our perception about the world around us. And when she framed it to me like that, I was like, huh, I've never failed at anything in my whole life. Why would I start now? Right. Yep. And so I was like, well, what is failure really? Well, you, know, you could look at it and say, well, you know, I, I had my dream job and I quit. You could look at that as failure or you could look at it as, well, it wasn't my dream anymore. Yep. And then you could look at it as, well, this is my third career. Also, well, I failed a couple times before or no, I just shifted perspective. You built a foundation. There's a difference between a pivot and a failure. 100%. So, but in, even just by reframing them as pivots, well, now I'm the one in control. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious, like, I, I know for you, you choose your words very carefully mm. and you understand the power that comes with the meaning of a word and how that shapes the, the world that we live in. Is that something that you actively work on with clients or is that something that you just kind of, because you speak about it a lot. Yeah, it's well, and that's part of this process for me and really getting into coaching was identifying what are my processes that I have develop for myself naturally that I don't really think about. And one of them is the basis model of um, decide that you are once define success. And what I describe as non-success as you're saying failure versus pivoting, pivoting is the next piece. So decide that you're going to do it, define success and non-success and then execute and pivot those are the, that's just the sickly, the two, really the only, the last two pieces are the only ones you cycle. But in terms of success, yes, you can identify what is failure, but to me, failure is only if you completely give up. That's always been the case. Otherwise, yeah. Are you committing? So that's where you go back to decision. Have you decided that you are doing this? Yes or no? Right. If the answer is yes. You literally never spend another second of fucking time thinking about, am I doing this? It's already done. Yeah. Right. And that's a lot of the time people get stuck in the cycle of tomorrow they wake up, they feel tired. And it's like, uh, I don't even know if I want this goal. Like get that shit out of your head. You already decided it. It's happening. You are more than welcome to change the goal and whatever, but you're not deciding whether we're doing it or not anymore. It's over. And now it's, what is success? And I like to think of it in terms of minimum commitment to yourself and ideal outcomes. So let's, in terms of training, I want to train five days a week. I don't know, an hour per time. Great. What is the minimum acceptable amount you will train and still categorize as a success? It should be an hour five times a week. Well, but to start, right, if you go from zero right five most people will fail Oh, you're saying as the goal will be to train five hours yes okay so if your goal in the long term is i want five hours a week five like once one hour five days a week where do we start a lot of times when people start at five days a week two weeks in they're overwhelmed and like if i can't do this i'm sore blah 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 right 
And so what's the minimum amount that will still classify as success in that to me, it's like pick two or three and we'll build right yeah. within four to six weeks. You'll be at five days a week. No problem. Right. But it's just distilling that backwards and training is just a simple uh, example, but you can do that with anything. And that to me, I love the creative process and that it's like, I really want to, I don't even know X, Y, Z. Great. How do we bring that back to what's the minimum amount you can do per week or per day? And you'll still feel good about yourself. Let's start there. Well, life is, I look at life as like a series of input output equations. Mm. If I want, if I want certain outputs like goals or, you know, whether it be personal, financial, whatever, it was like, there has to be a set amount of inputs in order to get me to that output. And one thing that I've adopted more recently, especially when it comes to the business side of things. And, and you know what, now that we're talking about it, I'm seeing this actually applied broadly. So let's bring it back to relationships because I know that's an area where you're kind of diving into. Yep. I, I knew that I wanted a specific relationship with my partner. And that type of relationship required a lot of honesty and open communication. But in order to communicate with somebody, it takes a lot of work to make sure that the words that you're saying are heard the way you want to be heard. And it takes a lot of practice to understand how to listen and hear that person's communication for how they want it to be heard. So if the if the outcome I'm looking for is a deep, meaningful, and reciprocal relationship with my partner... That's going to take a lot of inputs of conversations. Yeah. So I just started having a lot of conversations with my partner. And sure. lucky lucky for me, that started on our first date and it's never stopped. And we probably talk, we, we definitely talk about our relationship at least once a day. Mm-hmm. And it's through that, that like, you know, and I, I hear it's very validating to have people say like, oh, you know, your relationship is so great and blah, blah, blah. It's like, if they only knew that it was just a very simple input output equation and someone mm-hmm. else committed to that same equation, then you can make these same parallels with anything you want to accomplish. I want to make a million dollars. Okay, cool. It's a very tangible outcome. How many inputs do you need in order to make a million dollars? If you charge $500 for a product, it's going to take you 200,000 inputs to make a million dollars. Sure. Do you have what it takes to put in 200,000 inputs? Mm. Maybe, maybe not. Or sorry, right. it'd be 20,000. Um, but whatever the case, it takes whatever it takes. Right. Your context. So you either, you either accept whatever it's going to take and you do it. Or you change the circumstances so that whatever it takes fits your abilities, your commitment level, your skill set, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the pieces of like running my own business that I've found, I wouldn't say challenging, but definitely I'm aware of in the sense that my energy capacities do change day to day. For sure. And so finding this minimum daily thing in order to that's sustainable for me, right? Because something else I have experienced as well is I'm very good at overextending myself. Like I will blast it to the fucking moon and then I crash hard. Right. But, right. But sometimes that crashing hard ends me up in bed or in hospital. And like when my nervous system crashes for too much, we'll just say that in a poor grammar sentence, uh my immune system does as well. And that's a problem for me, right? So finding this consistent something that doesn't crash my nervous system to the point that it affects my immune system and skyrocket my cortisol and I have all this fluid retention on my side that then drives up the risk of bacterial infections and all these things, right? There's a, there's a very real consequence that I have experienced it more than once, yeah. right? And so... How do I work within those current limitations mm-hmm. and still be successful, right, in my business? And 
that's where I draw back to my initial mission of how can I integrate my gifts into help other people feel less alone in the world. That's one of my baselines. Another one that I have come to is how do I integrate those same gifts into help nurses, medical staff, into having just an easier day-to-day -day life. Like, what can I do to make your life better? Because I want to give back. That mm -hmm. is one of my highest values as well. And those are really the two things that I really care about. You know, it's, as of right now, that's what I've come to. What's your definition of success? Yeah, it's a great question. For me, it really is health-based. For me, without health, there's no success because you're dead. And so... <laughs> I finally could clip one. Without health, there's no success because you're dead. Uh-huh. But it's, you know... Yeah, it's very so, simple. Yeah. What does that come with? To me, health... What does is, what is healthy mean to me? The ability to find peace mentally and physically day to day. The ability to move my body and bring into these aspects of breathing, walking. I'd like to dance more. I'm very stiff. My body doesn't really twist. I'd like to work on that. Dancing feels like a piece that maybe is less like I've always been very uh, like lift things. It's sagittal plane, right? Yeah. I don't have a lot of rotation you gonna so see a zoom class or what well maybe but that's it right so what does success mean to me the ability to be healthy and what does that health entail the ability to move my body freely the ability to experience joy and fulfillment this vibrancy in my day-to-day -day. and really that's success to me as if i wake up in the morning regardless of my energy capacities if i'm able to experience vibrancy in my day and help someone else experience a similar vibrancy in their day that's success every single time i love that for me defining success has always been something that's it's honestly been challenging up until recently because i always had this idea that success was something external sure and i think that from that that in my childhood that came down to uh you know my father immigrated to Canada when he was 26, I think. Um, and so he was always basing our success on our ability to achieve based on his influence and stuff like that. So I always looked at success as achievement. Now I look at success the exact same way I look at happiness. Because for me, mm -hmm. happiness, if I'm happy, that means I'm successful. Right. I spent way too long in my life being unhappy. And the reason Do you I was, find happiness is one of your highest values. I would say it is my number one value. Really? I would say that it's not even on my chart. Happiness as I define it is to be meaningfully moving towards a goal that I've set for myself. Mm. So for me, happiness is a process. It's not a destination. Sure. And I choose to look at that happiness as a process of leveling up in whatever mm -hmm. my relationships, my business, my physical health. So if I, if I am meaningfully moving towards those goals, I wake up happy every single day. Mm. And the, the thing that I love most about this personal philosophy is that I'm in full control over whether I move forward or not. Right. And as long as I see this in the long term. Even if I have hit, like, you know, I had uh, had some digestive issues a couple a year and a half ago that, you know, I couldn't train, I couldn't eat properly and had to go through a bunch of medical tests. And, like, I don't see that as failure. And, and I wasn't unhappy during that time because mm -hmm. it was an obstacle that I had to overcome to move meaningfully towards the goal that I've set for myself. So sure. obstacles and setbacks is all part of the process. And the process is what I find happiness in. Mm. It's also come with a lot of, I, I've been thinking a lot about that in terms, because this is, I reflect on these things every day. It's part mm -hmm. of, you know, whether you want to call it my type A personality, but I get, I get consumed by thought. And I think it's mm. very important, especially because I make my living communicating with people. 
I need to be able to communicate with myself. Yeah. So the ideas of acceptance and expectation. I think a lot of people's unhappiness comes from a mismatch between reality and their expectations. 100%. So how do you how do you remedy that permanently? You remove expectations and accept reality. Mm-hmm. As soon as you're and that that is a very hard thing to do. I'm not saying it's going to come and like I still have instances where you know I have that like why me? But like, yeah. I'm now able to reframe and I think, like I've said this before on the podcast, I've said it in in different meetings with people, but I don't even have the expectation that my wife is going to wake up tomorrow and love me. Mm-hmm. Because every day I wake up wonderfully surprised that she's still there. Yeah. Huh. Imagine that. Right? Imagine that. Um, it's. I think bringing awareness to the expectations is really one of the biggest pieces that is missing day to day for a lot of people. And... Really, a lot of people are disconnected from their reality. Oh, for sure. Meaning yeah. their bodies, their realities, there's this distraction piece, there's news cycles, there's all these things that people pay attention to that, I mean, for me, I just think it's all bullshit. But at the <laughs> same time, in saying that, there is a mismatch between expectation and reality. And there's this constant stress of why do things continue to not happen how I want them to? While also not paying attention to the inputs, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so we need to bring awareness as to what's going on here. Is you have an expectation of this, we have inputs of this, and do you see these outputs having a potential for that outcome? No. Well, I wonder why you're stressed. Yeah, it's for pretty sure. simple, yeah. right? But just bringing that awareness, to people are like, well, fuck, I didn't even notice, and it could have been weeks or years even of people just going through the same stuff having the same question and the same frustrations. And it's like, I just feel so stuck. It's like, yeah. I wonder why. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. Yeah. So two of the lenses I look at the world are expectation management and energy allocation. Those are two big holes I find most people have in terms of their day-to-day lives. It's like, where is my energy going? Because like one of the things I'm always tired or I'm always stressed or I never feel like I have the capacity to do the things I want to do. Okay. Where is it going instead? Step, right? Expectation management is exactly what you just said. It's like, I want this thing. Okay. Why isn't it working out? This, 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 this. We got some holes in those stories. We need to change some of that story work. Right. But those are the two biggest pieces in most people, most of the time. And to me, I've spent so much time all the time, literally every single day, being aware of my energy allocation. It's like, no matter what, I got to remember to take my pills. I have to move my body X amount every day to stimulate my lymphatic system so I don't have fluid collect around my heart to kill me. Yeah. You know, there's all these pieces that I just have in my awareness every day, all the time. Your metric basics. Yeah, right. <laughs> 480 milligrams every day. Right? Is that gone up? But insane. I feel like it was lower before. Yeah, I went up a few years ago because the infection in my chest made it go. Uh, the fluid retention got worse. And so that's not. Anyway, it turns out it's super hard to breathe when you've got 20 pounds of fluid around your lungs. <laughs> I wonder why. Man, well, then in terms of energy allocations, like where's my energy going? Like, well, it takes a lot of work to beat my heart, as it turns out, because it's compressed all the time. Okay, actually, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So, sure. Liv and I just did a presentation for uh, the RCMP, which was <laughs> super cool because so we're putting together a nutrition course, and oh, cool. one of the one of the chapters in the nutrition course is nutrition and mental health. And one of the statistics that we came about while we were researching for this, and something that I had known a long time ago, but kind of just gets fouled in the back, you know, 36 years old, gets fouled in the back. Absolutely. Was that your brain makes up 2% of your body weight, but it allocates for 20% of your metabolism. Okay. So think about that in the context of stress and overwhelm. If you're allocating 20% of your energy metabolism towards stress and overwhelm, 
No fucking shit, you're tired. Yeah. Absolutely. So you want to talk energy allocation, like focus on the shit that matters. Well, and the question then becomes, what do you do with it? Is how? Yeah. Right? Well, I'm not intentionally draining my energy, being stressed, and I just have all this shit to deal with still. So now what? It's like, okay, well, now we do this distillation process. We find a place to start that doesn't drive your overwhelm up past a point that you don't want to start. Okay, here's something that just came to my mind, and I think is worth a conversation. Mm -hmm. I get this all the time. More so now than ever before, because people seem to be very conscious of the place of privilege that I speak from. Sure. So I'm speaking about for mental health, mindset, success, outwardly as someone who has achieved a very balanced mental health, a modicum of success in my industry. So I'm speaking from a place of privilege and I don't know what hardship feels like. Mm. That's not something that you will ever have to deal with. No, no. <laughs> um, and I, I personally find it to be a challenge because I don't want to share my hardships. I don't want to right. share the things that I've been through because to be fair, I don't think it's any of anyone's business. Mm-hmm. But it comes to question of how do you garner the credibility to speak on something when I'll just draw a parallel. So you are not a accredited psychologist. You're not an accredited you know, psychiatrist or mental health right. practitioner, but you have a degree from the school of life. Yeah. I think honestly, so what I have found, it. what I found, is honestly more times than not I from my clients I hear back that our sessions are more beneficial than therapy not in the sense that I think therapy is invaluable but in the sense that my perception of therapy is it's a one-way dialogue and a lot of the time it's like here's a bunch of tools go integrate them but they're not able to give them an opinion as to how they can integrate them day to day and that's a piece I feel like it's missing oh fair because people have all of these toolboxes of stuff. We can have information coming in from everywhere. I know all the things to do. And then tomorrow morning, when I stub my toe and I'm late for work and blah, 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 I fucking snap. Nobody's thinking about, I'm going to integrate my therapy tool right now <laughs> in real time. It's like, and then I yelled and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay. So how do we take into consideration the day-to-day -day reality that you experience and make change over time. And that's something I don't have a governing body above me keeping me from sharing personal experience. Right. And so I'm able to offer back like, Ooh, yeah, that's fucking hard. And yeah. if they want to, I've got lots of hard shit I can talk about. If you want to hear about it, then it's, then we have like a discourse or a, not a discourse, like a banter yeah. and like, Oh fuck man, that's heavy. I'm like, yeah, try me. Right. Let's go. I mean, Try I can me. talk about lots of stuff. Right? Come at me, bro. Well, that's it. Like, in all the hardships, you want to talk about health? Been down that road. Relationships? Been down that road. Grief? Lost a daughter. Like, there's a lot of the major life pieces that people struggle with. I have also experienced. And so in a session, yes, it's it's about them. And I'm able to communicate back that, like, Sometimes it's just the way we it is, and like we're all on the path of life. So, therapy, I do I do have that buy-in. I don't have the necessarily the structure, and that's something even in my own therapy. Uh, a few years ago, one of them was like, "Where did you learn about CBT?" I'm like, "I don't even. What are you saying?" <laughs> right? And then she, yeah. The next session, she brought me a book about CBT. She's like, "This is what you've been talking to me about for six months." I'm like. Okay. Like, I had no idea. Like, this is the way my brain works. So it's, it's the way your brain works, but it's, it, you know, it's a function of your experiences. Well, that's it. And I, I don't necessarily have the acronyms and the structured tools, like even motivational interviewing. I know now that that's a thing that I do relatively seamlessly on a regular basis. Yeah. 
I didn't know it was called a thing until someone was like, oh, I saw a video about this. I'm like, cool. Like, I don't know. I just, this is just what happens, right? Um, You're and the so, fucking best, man. Well, I don't know. It's And I don't have a good recall in my memory. Like, I don't even remember what a motivational interview is right now. And I just heard about this the other day. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do that all the time. But I couldn't tell you what it is in in real time. I just know that I do it. It's essentially just a process of asking questions so that someone comes to their own conclusions. Sure. Well, so there, exactly, right? Yeah. But so the natural things that, yeah, it's just, it's come together through my experience and people, I think, see the, the realness. And one thing I find is unique about me, most things that people perceive as vulnerability, I don't perceive as vulnerability from myself. So I can talk about my experiences. I can share stories and life things. And as you said about, you know, it's not their business. I totally agree. And yet, I don't feel vulnerable sharing those things about myself with literally anybody. So if it's helpful for the conversation or helpful for the client to hear about my life experience, like tomorrow, I don't even remember that I shared the story. It doesn't register as an impactful thing on me. And so if it's beneficial for them, I'm here every single time. Yeah. I think for me, not that I feel I have to validate, but for me, it's more so it's the experience that has come or the knowledge that has come through that experience that is valuable, not mm-hmm. the experience itself. Um, and to be fair, I will share those in a one-on-one setting, but you know, as far as Instagram or social media, it's not, it's sure. not what needs to be said, but uh <clears throat> I would love to finish before we get into the nonsense quick hit questions that I always ask at the end of our podcast. Um, Training to me has always been a wonderful proxy for the challenges of life, especially the squat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have this massive weight of the world weighing you down, yet you stand up. Do you miss that coupled by how have you replaced that feeling? Short answer. Yes. I missed that. Um, I wouldn't say that I have replaced it. I would like to, it's, there have been a few aspects of my life over the years. Playing shows is one of them. Mm. Playing with my band in front of, let's say, 100 or even the biggest crowd was over 1,100 people. Oh, shit. That is a feeling that I I have. It's unparalleled. It's very unique. Yeah. No, nothing else in life has felt like that. Powerlifting is another aspect of life that's very similar in the sense of that meeting in 2016, right? I hit my numbers. You feel like a fucking king. Like, I did that. You get pick up that third deadlift. You get the white lights. You like, smoked it too, right? In the, yeah, there's no other feeling like that, right? That's mm-hmm. I was standing there, a 30 year old man and a 17 month old baby who wasn't supposed to be here, yeah. right? This this whole like yeah, come at me life, and so in lifting to replace that, I still train. I'm trying to do two days on one day off right now. It's it's and it's a cadence that I have to play with right. as well. Um, but right now, two days on one day off seems to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's a constant reminder to myself not to overextend in the gym day to day because yeah. when I feel good, I want to push because that's I fucking love it. Yeah. And that's it's hard not to, well on chest the other day incline dumbbell press. I did too much because I was the next day I was fucking tanked. I knew it, but I knew it in real time and I did it anyway, because sometimes the juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah. yeah. I'm fucking squeezing the orange because fuck it. Um, And so sometimes I push it, but it's not the same, right? It's not the same as hitting a three plate bench, right? It's like, well, I'm pushing like 50 pound dumbbells. Come on. But um, 
I don't know. I haven't tried to, I've, I've stopped trying to replace that feeling and try and mostly just accepted. It's a feeling that's just from a season of life. And it's added to my experiences, you know, the, the peaks and valleys of life, right? That's a peak. We've got lifting, we've got music, I've got grief and love and joy. And so what are the other peaks that I can find similar experiences on in their own right? That's what I was going to say. Coaching is one of them. That's what I was going to say, because, you know, for me, there came a time a couple of years ago where I was like, are my heaviest lifts behind me? Are my 800 pound squats, 700 pound deadlifts, you know, are they behind me? Yep. And I had to accept at the time that they probably were. I'm coming to see now after some very diligent work and some great coaching uh, from my coach, Daniela Martina, that they're not behind me. And so there is an opportunity for me to potentially revisit those feelings. But if there is one piece of advice I could give you in that regard is that um, I heard James Smith say this today. He said, all wins feel the same. Mm. And that's something that I definitely resonate with because I find the same joy and excitement and anxiety and all of these amazing feelings in my work, in my relationship, in my own, you know, personal pursuits. And whether it's an 800 pound deadlift or, you know, standing on a balcony in Jamaica with my wife, like, those highs are the same. Hmm. You just have to learn to appreciate them the same. Now, my question back to you is, would you describe those highs as peace? That's what came to mind to me immediately is the commonality across that peak is a sense of peace. It is. And that, that level of peace is something that I try to cultivate in everything that I do now. Um, Hmm. I used to be somebody who sought out chaos and sought out, you know, those just really arduous situations. And while I do believe that we stand to gain a lot from seeking out stress for that allostatic benefit and, you know, all that stuff, those experiences are only as as, as valuable as your ability to find peace within them. Mm -hmm. So when the world around you, and there's a quote about leadership and that a leader is someone who can find peace within chaos. Sure. And I truly resonate with that. And it's something that I try to embody in in all of my pursuits. It's an interesting reframe on leadership because I would definitely then describe myself as a leader. I would as well, for sure. Yeah. And it's actually reminds me of, I've seen the meme around a little bit in the last week or so, but uh, about redefining success as people's ability to feel safe around you. Like I am very confidently a successful person if that is the case. Right. And so, and, and I know that, and I would love to lean into that. And that's ultimately another piece of what I'm doing as well. You know, safety, not to go on a tangent there, but that's something else that I hold at high value. Mm. Right. It's, it's very important to me that people feel, I guess, emotionally safe. I mean, I'm not a physically threatening person, but all of these things, right. When the nervous system feels safe, uh, I feel like that's our ability to to connect. And that's one of my highest values is connection. So I love that. All right. Enough seriousness. Let's talk a little bit of nonsense. <clears throat> Let's go. What is one album that you can listen to with no skips? Uh, honestly, I don't even know the name of the album after the burial uh, wolf among ravens is the song at the end whatever that one's called dude, after the burial rips so hard dude they're just they're the best the best riffs the staccato amazing all screaming no singing i can't the metal with the singing it's not for me if you're gonna sing sing if you're gonna scream you fucking do it well listen i have to have a little bit of melody so like after the burial is pretty close to as hard as i'll get i need to be able to kind of know the words to the song Beneath the Massacre is would be my next to mind, and they would not be for you. No yeah. melody, never. All blast beats, all Elliot screams. Amazing. Highly recommend. <laughs> Do you crack an egg on the side of the pan or on a flat surface? Flat surface every time. Good. Good man. Yeah. Uh, 
Okay, usually this question is top five dead or alive at a dinner table. Who would you pick? I'm going to switch that around and I'm going to say top five in a band on stage. Who do you pick? Mm. For me to play with or for me to watch? You to play with. Yeah, fuck. It's got to be my buddy Thomas. He's in both my bands now, but he's he'd be in the band for sure. Honest, honestly, yeah, it'd be the the old crew. Thomas, my old guitar teacher, he's a good friend of mine currently. My brother, uh, drums. Drums would be tough. My mind goes to my buddy Nick, who played drums in my first band. Uh, known him forever. Also, I probably have a couple of drummers. Honestly, could be like a Slipknot vibe, maybe. But uh, who That's else would there thinking. be? I was thinking the drummer from Slipknot would definitely be on my list. Freaking flying, yeah, stage and shit. Just yeah. It plus it'd just be fun, right? Who want to? Uh, singer. Yeah, my, I mean Kyle. It'd be the old band: Andy, Kyle, Nick, me, Tom, and uh, my brother comes to mind right away. I love it, dude. I really appreciate your time today to have this chat, something I've been really looking forward to. We had to reschedule once, but you know, I always come away with these conversations with amazing questions and reflection points. Um, and I'm very excited for what you're building. So there's one. Dude, I appreciate it. Always appreciate our conversations and, uh, just having the ability to come on and talk. And I hope any of your listeners get value from this. Uh, if you have any questions for me, by all means, reach out, I uh, muscle build coaching on Instagram. Uh, I've got my own podcast, practical honesty as well. So go. by all means, check that out, but always down for conversations. If this resonates with you. I'd love to know. And Paul, awesome. I definitely appreciate you and your knowledge and all that you're doing in the world. Um, pleasure, man. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll have links to where you can find bill and all the things that he's working on in the show notes. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and we'll catch you on the next one.